Coming up on This Week in Games, Epic unveils the next generation of their famed game engine. Marketing platform AppLovin sweeps up a mobile giant, and Keyword Studios positions itself for discounted acquisitions. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and this week we had two major stories. In fact, I cut a lot of minor news to focus on these two stories this week, so let's kick it off. First up, Epic Games unveils Unreal 5, their bid for AAA game engine dominance. So Epic released a nine-minute YouTube video unveiling the next generation of their fabled game engine, Unreal 5, running on PlayStation 5. Unreal is kind of one of two game engines that hold... I would say a duopoly in the game development technology space. Generally, there's Unreal and Unity. Unreal is seen as a more robust, slightly harder to use engine, mainly meant for console and PC. Unity is seen as an easier but lower powered engine commonly used for mobile and indie developers, though these are observations, not hard lines. Plenty of uh, mobile games use Unreal. Um, there are AAA and console, plenty of console games especially use Unity. So not hard lines. Epic further distanced themselves from other game developer game development offerings by Unreal 5 and specifically two pieces of technology within Unreal 5. The first edition of Unreal 5 is Nanite. Nanite's a virtualized ge- geometry technology that allows high polygon pound, high polygon count models to be used in pretty much any setting. So this can be thought of how vector graphics can be used to produce any size of pixel images. So you can have a vector graphic of like a circle and it can produce everything from like high res to 8-bit from that one circle because the circle is basically a formula, but it's virtualized like pixels, you can kind of say, I guess. But pixel art must be redone from scratch. So if you actually draw out, you know, a 100 pixel uh, circle, you can scale it up and scale it down, but it's going to look ugly, so you have to redraw it from scratch. That's kind of like how a good analogy for how I'm looking at Nanite right now is virtualizing geometry, so any polygon count can work in any polygon setting. The second addition is Lumen, a dynamic lighting technology that seems to basically empower dynamic global illumination to be utilized in a real-time setting without a hit to performance. I think anyone in, you know... Anyone in graphics knows lighting is like one of the most expensive things, and global illumination is arguably the most expensive thing you can add to a game, especially dynamic real-time global illumination. That seems to be what Lumen is giving everyone, and, you know, their demo's insanely impressive. We'll have to get our hands on it and actually see. Um, Furthermore, to entice new developers to come on Unreal who haven't tried it yet, Epic has decided to waive the first $1 million of royalties for a new developer making with Unreal. So just like Unity, um, Epic, uh, you get to use Unreal, and then after you make a certain amount of money, I forgot what it is, you can look up on their website. After you make a certain amount, you have to give them a percentage of royalty. I think it's either like 5 or 10% of all the money you make past that point, you have to give to Epic. And that's fair. I mean, like making your own engine is honestly absolutely bonkers like it's so hard (laughs) i did i made a shitty 2d fighting game engine um in graduate school took forever was riddled with bugs could only deploy on like certain pcs and like epic is basically becoming your cto for your game studio and you know they kind of deserve five to ten percent of your (laughs) royalties for that 
Finally, Epic has launched Epic Online Services, a new SDK that takes care of complicated things like cross-platform play, matchmaking, and a number of other annoyances, and it serves pretty much like PC, console, and all mobile platforms. That's a key one. I don't think people are freaking out about that, but cross-platform play is hard. Doing matchmaking on PlayStation and Xbox and all these things are a nightmare. I remember uh, a long time ago I read the developers of Skullgirls talking about how Skullgirls getting matchmaking, working on PlayStation was just a nightmare and took up so much of their time, so much of their development effort. If Epic can literally offer an SDK to, you know, sit on top of that and take out all the annoyances for you, oh my, that'd be a lifesaver. And honestly, it's hard to beat Unreal in terms of developing a professional looking game. Look at the demo. I've linked it in the show notes. I think it's the first thing in the show notes. The demo's lighting looks breathtaking, like really breathtaking. And supposedly it's real time. So, I mean... How, how could you argue with the results? I'm really intrigued at the inner workings of Nanite, their virtualized geometry. And then I'm especially interested in like, could you mix and match polygons of like different types of models? Like here's a super high res model with billions of polygons. Here's a low res model with not that many. Can they both sit in the same game and will it look good? If the answer is yes, then holy crap. Like Nanite might be, you know, a game changer, a real game changer. Unity is still going to be the easiest game engine, especially for indies and mobile developers. Mobile developers don't need global illumination. I mean, half the crap is just ugly. 2D art and indie developers really just, you know, they're not, I don't, I don't want to like pigeonhole indie developers, but they're generally not the most technically competent uh, developers and they don't need exposures of like the raw C++ and all these really advanced you know, lighting techniques and geometry techniques, they're more focused on like actual game and game content. I don't see that changing. However, at this point, if you want to make a professional looking game on console or PC, and you definitely don't want to write your own engine from scratch, it'd be difficult to argue against doing anything but Unreal. I mean, after this presentation, I've basically decided probably my next game will have to be Unreal, even though Unity, I've used it for God, like maybe seven years professionally, it's so hard to argue against Unreal at this point. I mean, for me, really, the game changer is Epic Online Services. Man, Epic at this point, I think you really have to take a stand back. At this point, they have the strongest virtual offerings of tools and service the video game has ever seen. You know, they have digital stores, they have game engines, they have a number of other services besides the game engine. They're a publisher, they're also a developer. Um, you know, they pretty much have everything, and Unreal 5 is yet another step in Epic further separating themselves from all of their game companies. And it's, and really, at this point, you could almost argue Epic is closer to a Microsoft or Google than it is to an EA or Activision. Like, Microsoft has, you know, all the Azure cloud service stacks. Uh, they have, like, all these as-a-service, architecture as a service, software as a service, you know platform as a service and then they have the xbox division which makes and publishes games epic's getting you know right there with them and unlike ea and activision like ea has frostbite but a no one internally at ea that i've ever talked to likes frostbite and ea certainly doesn't seem to like offering frostbite for free and activision same thing with whatever their dice engines call so yeah i mean <laughs> let's keep an eye out on epic like they legit could be you know, like a $10, 20000000000 billion company. I mean, they're private now. It's hard to say what they're valued at, but easily I could see Epic becoming, I don't know, uh, maybe not a fang level company, but like definitely up there 
with all the best tech companies in the world. So speaking of Epic, the Epic Game Store crashed this week due to offering free copies of GTA 5. So it's crazy to think that seven years later, GTA 5 still manages to find itself on top 10 selling games on certain like down months for North America or Europe. This changed this week with Epic Game Store offering the highest grossing piece of entertainment of all time for free. The Epic Game Store and its launcher were experiencing extreme load times and errors due to the flood of players who now seem, but they've seemed to largely like taking control of those issues. The offer of free GTA 5 lasts until May 21st. That's the day after my birthday. Maybe I should pick it up. <laughs> uh, the only reason I included this story is kind of is another sign of Epic knows how to spend money and large amounts of money. I know it sounds like I'm like, especially when I first started this podcast, I used to be very critical of Tim Sweeney. And now it sounds like I'm a mouthpiece for Epic, but like, you know, think about it, like every GTA 5 is still one of the most played games uh, out there, like Twitch, uh, Steam numbers, people purchasing a $60 box game. It's still there, you know, seven years later, everyone wants a free copy of GTA 5, or at the least, everyone has friends they want to play GTA 5 with who can't afford a $60 copy themselves or don't want to buy another $60 copy. So doing this almost guarantees millions and millions of Epic Game Store accounts created. Epic Game Store downloaded the uses of the launcher. You're training habits of people. Now people have it. Now they're a part of your marketing funnel because you can email blast them. Like, it's very smart, very deliberate. Um, you know, they just seem to be on it. But uh, speaking of being on it, let's kick it over to the business news. So that was the news news. Business news, however, we had a big, big one. The big business news story of the week, mobile strategy king Machine Zone is acquired by mobile marketing company Atlovin for a rumored $500 million. Oh, there's oh so much to unpack here. As this acquisition basically set the game industry business world on fire or as on fire as a mobile acquisition can set whatever the game industry <laughs> business world is. So following their investment in Sweet Escape's San Diego developer Redemption Games, Applevin has outright acquired former top-grossing mobile game developer Machine Zone. Applevin will actually move their headquarters into Machine Zone's Palo Alto studio headquarters, which is advertised as the original Facebook office base. So how did this happen? Why is Applevin acquiring studios now? Who's paying for this? There's so many questions. I'm going to try to dig deep into this. Um, let's start with Machine Zone. So Machine Zone is best known uh, for their hit mobile games, Game of War, Mobile Strike, and Final Fantasy XV and New Empire. Game of War famously had a Cape Upton Super Bowl commercial in 2015 and sat on the top grossing charts for years. And I mean like top five grossing charts, like not, not top 100. Mobile Strike has a string of commercials starring former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's basically looked like Game of War, but in a modern settings. And then the Final Fantasy XV game was basically both of those games, but with the Final Fantasy XV reskin. All three games saw positions and, you know, sat on top 10 grossing on mobile for like many, many months, if not years for Game of War. And each reached a point where it was printing millions of dollars a day in revenue. MZ uh, had raised over $260 million. Their last fundraising round valued the company at $5 billion. And I interviewed with MZ back in 2016. They told me they had values of upwards of $10 billion and wanted to IPO at the $10 billion mark. Also, they considered them, they didn't consider themselves a game company, but actually a data tech company, as they were rumored to have a military or Department of Defense contract, and the game's 
they ran were merely data generators and data harvesters to test their real values, some kind of data software that was being contracted to the government. Very weird. I know this sounds very weird. I'm sure everyone knows someone at Machine Zone. You guys can go ask them about this. Um, so how does a company that raised m- money at a $5 billion value and internally thought they were worth upwards of $10 billion get acquired by a marketing company for $500 million? So there's a few things. I assume at this point they've lost their what was rumored to be a military contract. And although their top line revenue was millions a day and looks amazing, their bottom line revenue was probably much less impressive. So the mobile strategy space is notorious as one of the most expensive to play in, along with something like social casinos. The CPIs are cost to get a user to click through an ad and install the game, run the highest of all game types. So I, I'd put mobile strategy up there with social casinos, both of those. I mean, at minimum, you're paying $20 per user. You could be paying much, much more than that, 40 maybe 60 I don't know what the numbers are now. I don't work in that space anymore. But at the time, they were, like, ratio-wise compared to, like, Match 3 or Puzzle or card games or casual games. Like, this was so expensive. MC likely blew through all their target users over the past five years, meaning they used all these networks um, to acquire users, whether it be Google, Unity, maybe App Loving themselves. And they actually probably like blew through between their three games all five users that could possibly want to play these mobile strategy games. And their games specifically targeted hardcore players that basically want to pay to win. That's how you played these games. You had to pay to really play the game. And if you weren't paying, then you weren't actually playing what was considered the real game. And there wasn't anyone else to find in the space. So they blew through all their targets. Their games were built in a way that converting a non-target user, meaning someone who didn't come in with like, I don't want to like put everyone on blast, but come in paying to win as a mindset. Their games weren't good at converting those people who weren't with that mindset. And so it wasn't going to happen. And their economy suffered from constant inflation, devaluing the currencies as the game went on, meaning like, they just constantly gave out more coins, and then to combat that, things cost more. They introduced more uh, currency sinks in the game, and then they had to give out more coins, and then they had more sales, which devalued the currency more. I suppose their founders and investors thought $500 million was the best they could get, given the trajectory, maybe. This is me guessing. And I'd also say that even if they were valued at $5 billion, you'd struggle to find any gaming giant, including Tencent, want to buy a studio for that price. Like Activision Blizzard bought King for, I don't know, what was it? Like somewhere probably between $1 and $2 billion, right? And with King, you're getting Candy Crush Saga. Candy Crush Saga is going to continue to print money as they go. These games are all on a downward trajectory. Like they would have to reskin Game of War a fourth time and release a fourth game, probably with an IP skin, um, to really make that money back. And so it's really hard for any company to eat a five billion dollar cost on an industry like this. You know. So where does App Lovin come into this? App Lovin is mainly seen as a marketing platform up until recently, with some data and optimization services. But App Lovin raised one point four billion dollars with their last round of 400 million dollars coming from pe mega fund kkr on july 17 2018 kkr if you don't know is one of the most powerful pe firms in the world meaning private equity firms and you know they either take minority stakes or outright buy 
private companies and then they optimize them or they chop up their uh, their assets and sell them off or they saddle them with debt and then take the valuable parts and sell them off or they do lots of things and they eventually their goal is to sell off the company right to other companies or you know there's other ways they can make money but that's I guess the general idea of private equity I don't know what division of KKR bought them or what KKR's intention were when they invested in app loving but all we know is they put 400 million dollars in and they have a minority stake in the company and as far as I know, there's no public statement as to why AppLovin has pivoted and started funding game studios and now appears to be outright acquiring game studios. You know, AppLovin moving into Machine Zone's offices lead me to believe they are positioning themselves as either a publisher or a holdings company for game studios. And this is the most interesting part of all of this, okay, is AppLovin was only valued at $2 billion after their private equity round with KKR in 2018. So this all leads me to believe KKR is actually bankrolling AppLovin and their acquisitions or further investments. You know, maybe KKR, and this isn't a stretch at all, maybe KKR wants to become the North American Tencent. Like they see how Tencent, you know, the games division of Tencent uh, is the most profitable division. It's, it's the reason Tencent is such a valuable company. And KKR is using AppLovin, who naturally has a mar market mover advantage because they control a big swath of advertising in the mobile game industry. Um, this seems like the most logical explanation to me. You know, everything is up in the air at this point, but I'll continue to follow up on this big story and frankly try to figure out what AppLovin is planning to do with itself. But I guess it looks like KKR is bankrolling AppLovin to become a North American Tencent. Like, otherwise, none of this really makes sense. I mean, maybe AppLovin, like, Machine Zone had a number of problems. Burning through users was one of them. AppLovin can probably help with that problem, but as far as the currencies and other issues, maybe not. I do, you know, there's a lot of things like why would a two billion dollar company make a five hundred million dollar acquisition? What are they planning on doing with Machine Zone? So many questions. A lot to look out for. AppLovin, you know, they made the investment in Redemption Games last week or earlier this month at the very least, and. Uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see if the trends continue. Um, I expect to see one, two more, you know, big investments or acquisitions out of AppLovin the rest of the year. So let's see what they do. But this is a big one. Like, this is a big shift. Uh, it's big for Machine Zone to get just bought out. It's big for them to sell off for $500 million. You know, one of the kingpins of mobile gaming. Um, it's big for AppLovin to then be the ones who buy them out. Lots of questions. Uh, man, crazy. Absolutely crazy, guys. All right, let's wrap up business news. Sumo Group acquires work for hire studio Lab 42 Limited. So Sumo Group is an umbrella company for studios such as Little Big Planet 3 developer Sumo Digital, and everyone's gone to the Rapture developer, The Chinese Room, has acquired Lab 42, which is a work for hire studio that seems to specialize in cross-platform services. Lab 42 shares the same city as Sumo Digital and will likely support Sumo Group's mini game studios with their expertise. Makes lots of sense, guys. Uh, I wish I could see the acquisition price, but this seems to be a very smart move by the Sumo Group. I think the Sumo Group has a bright few years as they found a, a good way to slowly grow their catalog of both assets in terms of like services and support companies, but also, uh, you know, developers who actually put out games that people like and games that, you know, win awards and garner interest. It's this slow burn and the slow, like, um, 
snowball going down a hill. This is what I, you like to see at these companies. Um, and yeah, I think Sumo Group's got a pretty good next two years, if you ask me. And next up, acquisition monster Keyword Studios raises over $120 million for, well, you know, more acquisitions, but specifically acquisitions of COVID-impacted companies. So Keyword Studios, who boasts an impressive 44 successful acquisitions at this point, raises over $120 million to buy companies at a discount. The fundraising comes not from convertible notes, bonds, or debt, but rather just issuing new regular shares and keywords. It's not very common in this environment to see anything other than credit and debt fundraising, um, but keywords market cap currently sits right under $1 billion at $981 million. That's when I reported it. It could pop on Monday, to be honest. Keywords is targeting smaller and more vulnerable service companies that have been heavily impacted by the global pandemic. So although there are worries in major tech companies that like Google and Amazon will start knocking off their composition, competition through M&A while their competition's assets are vulnerable or undervalued because of the pandemic, I actually think Keywords is doing everyone a favor here. You know, the companies they're targeting and talking about have employees and are struggling for payroll right now. So those companies get cash and security and everyone stays employed and Keywords expands their technology and service offerings. Seems like a win-win to me. Um, next up, Maze Theory raises one, nearly $1.7 million in grants in a seed round. So new VR studio Maze Theory, known for a Peaky Blinders VR game, raises nearly $1.7 million through both a UK grant and the UK Creative Content EIS fund. Maze Theory's hope to create a Doctor Who VR trilogy. So the reason I put this story in there is it's kind of a highlight of something I've been seeing in the kind of VR industry. If you want to make money in VR, making VR advert games seems like seems like the way to do it. And advert games means like advertising in the form of a game, meaning the game isn't going to be a game that's sold or a game that's like heavy on content. It's the game is a piece of advertising fluff, kind of. Companies want to pay VR companies to make experiences that grab headlines and preparations for launching new seasons or new series. And this seems to be the only place that VR makes sense since game sales and VRs has been in a slump, not counting Half-Life Alex. <laughs> so if you're a VR company, you might want to consider looking in the space if you're really struggling revenue-wise. I've seen a lot of companies do this, and I know a lot of entertainment companies specifically who seek out VR companies to do this. Next up, Sleeper, a fantasy sports company, raises $20, or $20 million in a Series B to now offer eSports fantasy. So Sleeper is known for its fantasy sports offering and traditional sports like football and basketball, but now wants to add League of Legends to that list. Looking to add eSports to their offering, they raise a hefty $20 million Series B led by, you know, Seems to be the big boy in game investing, Andresin Horowitz, who has now jumped headfirst into game investing, and they seem to be on here every week, but includes seven other investors, such as Twitch CEO Kevin Lin. Yeah, I mean, not much more than this. I, I can maybe see fantasy League of Legends being a thing. My only worry is if you make a fantasy League of Legends and it becomes a hit, like lots of people use it, you better have an exclusivity contract with Riot because there's nothing stopping everyone else from competing with you with a Fantasy League of Legends game. You saw this happening in uh, fantasy sports when CBS, ESPN, and everyone rolled out fantasy sports when it became a big hit like many, many, many years ago. 
Um, I see that happening here, so that's my only worry, but sure. I mean, maybe people, all those people watch NALCS every week and everything. I'm sure they'll have tons of fun making Fantasy League of Legends teams, so go for it, you know? And finally, last story of the week, peer-to-peer streaming platform Parsec raises $7 million in Series A. So this is kind of a, mm, I don't know how to say it. This, uh, this, this is not a great story. So led by Game Industry Investing Mainstay Makers Fund, Parsec closes $7 million Series A to expand their remote interactive desktop application. And you might be saying, wait, that doesn't sound like peer-to-peer streaming. Well, claiming to be a game-focused streaming technology company, Parsec really reads like any remote desktop software that's been around since the 90s. That's re- it's really what they do. They're streaming remote desktop access, and they sell the streaming and other things like remote co-op for non-online games as features of Parsec, but really this is just taking remote desktop software and wrapping it in a game industry cover. Um, It'll be hard to sell this when companies like Valve's are also offering similar technology like non-online remote co-op play on Steam already. And I just don't know where you go with a technology like this. Like, sure, you could have really nice peer-to-peer streaming, as you call it, but it's really just remote desktop access, and that's been around forever, so... I don't know. I have to see something. I have to see a use that makes this a meaty thing. But Maker's Fun isn't dumb, and they raise a $7 million Series A. So there's probably something there that I'm personally missing. But who knows? All right. That's it for this week in games. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave a comment and let me know how I'm doing. You can email me at eric at thisweekingames.com, E-R-I-C at thisweekingames.com if you have any comments or suggestions on future stories. Lastly, please check the show notes for any stories you heard in today's episode. I have links up there. Um, And that's it. I'm Eric for This Week in Games. I'll see you guys next week, and stay safe out there.